When I first saw that little video and read about that story, I thought it was made up, or at least overly embellished, you know, and that maybe Hollywood had gotten a hold of it or something. Um, but it turns out that this is a completely true event. Uh, an, an amazing thing that happened on Christmas Day in 1914 on a World War I battlefield to celebrate the centennial anniversary, uh, the British Royal Legion and a UK supermarket, St. Sansbury uh, chain, produced a three and a half minute movie that you just saw. The event took place on the Western Front during the early months of the Great War, December 24th and 25th, German and British troops were stationed in trenches just a few hundred yards apart. And for weeks, they had been engaged in battle. And so stressful that they would rotate soldiers in and out of those trenches. They just, they couldn't stay in there over seven days at a time. They would just, they just couldn't do it. But now, it was Christmas. And it started when some German soldiers lit candles on their Christmas trees which first Christmas tree was Martin Luther, we think. So, I mean, that was kind of a crazy thing to do during wartime. The British soldiers would have been able to easily spot their positions. But instead, the British responded by shooting off rockets and lighting bonfires. The Germans began singing Christmas carols. And so they invited the British to join in. They would call across. They were so close that they could yell at one another and be heard. One British soldier called out, we would rather die than sing in German. And a German soldier responded, if we had to listen to you sing in German, we would die too. Just sing it in English. And so they did. They began to sing. So throughout the night, each camp would listen to the other sing. Shortly after daybreak, on Christmas morning, all along the front, hundreds of soldiers left their trenches. We don't know who exactly it was that had the idea to get up first, but somebody did, and they met the enemy in this neutral no-man's land. They began shaking hands and laughing and even exchanging gifts. Both armies had received lots of comforts from home, food and candy and tobacco, and they began to share these little things, these supplies with soldiers on the other side. A soccer game broke out between the shell holes and the barbed wire. And there's a little backstory to this that uh, I found a video, and I want you to see how they made uh, that little mini movie. So watch this uh, background with me. By December 1914, the Great War had raged for almost five months. Letters and diaries from the Western Front described how the guns fell silent on Christmas Eve. We were in the trenches on Christmas Eve, and about 8.30, the firing was almost at a standstill. 
An einigen Stellen waren auf der Brustwert Tannenbäume mit gelben, brennenden Kerzen gestellt, worüber die Engländer durch Zuruhe und Hängeklatschen ihre Freude ausdrückten. We had a commotion in the German trenches and then they began to sing Silent Night. My grandfather was a captain in the Royal Warwicks. He's a man I, I knew little about until I read his diaries. He made contact with two German officers at dawn uh, on Christmas Day. That was really the start of a mass um, exchange of things in no man's land between um, German and British soldiers. As the day broke, the enemy would be seen to bob up and down, and as the British did not fire, they plucked up enough courage to get out of their trenches. I met their officer, and we arranged a local armistice for 48 hours. As far as I can tell, this effort of ours extended itself throughout the whole line. The soldiers on both sides met in their hundreds and exchanged greetings and gifts. The Christmas truce wasn't just one event. It was a whole series of events scattered along a fairly small area of the front line, but it certainly wasn't continuous. Some soldiers died on Christmas Day 1914. They got out of the trench thinking there was a truce and they were shot by Germans who didn't want a truce. So it was a very courageous thing for them to do. It was an experience of a lifetime, I should think, and one very rare. Dann wurde alles ausgetauscht, was jeder gerade bei sich hatte. Tabak, Schokolade, Schnaps, Ordenbänder und vieles andere mehr. Es war ein drolliger Anblick. During the day we had football matches with a new ball sent by some kind friends. So you see it takes a good lot to upset our men and make us forget Christmas. We may never know what really happened. We can't be 100% sure that there was a football match between the Germans and the Allies. There probably was, almost certainly was. What matters is the message that that whole event carries, which is, you know, even at the toughest of times, in the, in the heat of war and in the most dreadful occasions, there can be great humanity. The Christmas truce um, certainly happened. Who knows all the details behind it? But it's a really good way for, for people to start to understand the First World War and understand the humanity, uh, not just the scale and destruction, but also all those small moments of, of charity and support uh, uh, and, and human contact that, that easily get lost otherwise. It is a great hope for future peace when two great nations hating each other as foes have seldom hated should on Christmas Day, and for all that the word implies, lay down their arms, exchange smokes, and wish each other happiness. The truce only lasted through Christmas Day. Fighting resumed quickly, and in the following years, 17 million soldiers would lose their lives in that miserable war. The war that was labeled at that time to be the war to end all wars. And that didn't happen, as we know, but uh, on this single day, two sets of enemies put aside their differences long enough to practice peace. It was only this one day in the midst of this horrific and bloody war that these 18 and 19-year-olds were able to do what young men everywhere should be able to do, which is just laughing and joking and playing sports together. This one day stands out, and you can see why it's one of my favorite Christmas stories, because it has such a contrast to all the ugliness that was surrounding it. And to this day, 
It reminds us of what life is supposed to be. You know the Christmas story. It's my challenge to bring something to Sunday mornings that would be insightful and practical and helpful and fresh and meaningful to a story that I have 50 sermons on that you've heard since you were a child. I knew this story before I ever set foot in a church. I always feel challenged by this. But it's on this first Christmas Eve that a young couple named Mary and Joseph traveled about 70 miles from their home in Nazareth to this little town of Bethlehem. And after they found a place to stay, it was really a shelter that was made for animals, Mary went into labor, and she gave birth to a little boy. Not too far away, on the other side of town, were a group of teenage boys. They were working the night shift. This was... Their job, it would be the equivalent today of having, you know, a a position at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or working, whatever kind of job. So there they were in the middle of the night watching the sheep on this Judean hillside. And then suddenly, an angel appeared. In fact, Luke tells the story better than I do, so let's just hear how he he says it. It's in Luke chapter 2, in the 8th verse. It begins like this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What an event. Well, today we're beginning a new series that's leading up uh, to Christmas. And we're going to look at this story and this one passage, these dozen verses in Luke 2, 
We're calling this series Turning Christmas Upside Down, though that's what it should be. I guess you could say we're trying to turn Christmas right side up because it's already upside down. And I know we complain about that a lot, and we look at this, many of us, through a Christian filter, and we see all the flaws, and we see all the things that we wished were a little different about it. I want to call attention to what this host of angels proclaimed to these shepherd boys. What an unusual group of people uh, to, to announce this to. But this tells us not only what Christmas is about, but really what our life is supposed to be about. It says, and on earth, peace. Irene, peace. Goodwill toward men. That's not just a Christmas message. This is the message. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here this morning. That's what our life is about. To be at peace with God and to be at peace with one another. That's why Jesus came to all people to bring peace and goodwill. That's what this series is going to be about. So today, I want us to look at a couple of phrases spoken by the angels. And I want to consider how these phrases just might influence, hopefully change, but at least influence the way that we live. And by the way, do you have in your imagination, when you picture this, uh, of these angels singing to the shepherds? But did you know that the Bible never clearly mentions ever angels singing? I mean, there is that one time in Isaiah where it feels like it should be sung. And then in Revelation chapter 5, verse 19, you know, Scripture tells us that uh, in the ESV version, which is what I use a lot, it says, and, and they sang a new song unto him. Uh, referring to these, these heavenly creatures. But if you look that verb up, it's actually the same verb for the word to say or to speak. It, so isn't that interesting? That it, it never really says sing. So I got to thinking, why is it that whenever I, hear, I picture that, and then I, re- I know why, because of a guy named Charles Wesley, who in 1739 wrote a Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it was actually first put uh, to the tune of a different hymn uh, and sang, but then it kind of got its own music as it went along and was included in a hymn book. Uh, but it goes back to that. And so ever since Wesley, we've, we've been imagining uh, these shepherds being sung to uh, by angels. But the Bible says that they spoke. That's just a little Christmas trivia for you that you can use at your next party. And it's hard for me to hear this story without thinking about all the children's pageants that I've seen. Uh, five- and six-year-olds up on stage in makeshift robes, and there's usually a prompter down there trying desperately to keep their attention, you know, and to corral. And we all, I just think it's hilarious. I love it. It's a lot of fun. 
uh, they usually have on fake beards and angels are dressed in sheets and they have, uh, you know those tinfoil, you know you make wings out of like, you've been, if you've never been to church and seen that, well you've really missed it because they miss their entrances, uh, they look around, they wave at their parents, they stumble, they knock over props. Um, you know, it's just a scene that for me brings back a lot of just good memories, sweet memories that feel like Christmas. But we need to remember that, that this original event was not just a charming little children's Christmas show. There were no cute costumes. There were no missed entrances. When the angels spoke their lines, it was with authority. It frightened these people. And the response wasn't, oh, that is so sweet. That is so cute. And the response, I think, must have been like, oh my goodness, this, is tr- this changes everything. Messiah? Christmas does change everything. How does it do that? Well, you can count on me. I thought of a couple of ways. One is that Jesus came for all people. When you look at what the angel said, good tidings of great joy shall be to all people. We live in a world, and you guys will grow up in a world that is increasingly divided by us and them. Many people can identify who their enemies are, whether it's Islamic terrorists or just members of the opposing political party, if it's stores where employees are trained to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, or if you don't see the world exactly the way I see the world, you're my enemy. That's how people filter life. It's us against them. It's me against you. It's SEC against everybody else. Any disagreement? This means war. I was at a game a couple of weeks ago, and this guy just got furious, and he was just, and I thought, hey, we're all passionate, and we're all fans, but it's a game. It's a game. I'm not trying to suggest that we should not take a stand for truth or that you should never be bold against evil. I don't want you to misunderstand me. And it's way past time for Christians to stop being so wishy-washy. I mean, show some courage. It's okay every now and then if you've got to get a little politically incorrect as a follower of Jesus. I get that. But what I am suggesting is this. We need to remember that every person we're conditioned to consider as our enemy, those people still fall under the umbrella of good tidings of great joy to all people. They're under the umbrella. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around sometimes, but Jesus came for those people just as much as he came for us people. And he wants us to love our enemies 
Because he loves our enemies. Just as much as he loves us. I know. And I'm part of a generation that has seen and lived in a broken and divided and fallen world. Some of you older than me. You've seen a a world war. And you remember Vietnam and the war now that we wage in such a completely different way. And, And we know that we're in a fallen place. And oftentimes it is us and them. But I don't think Jesus sees it that way. He doesn't see us and them. He just sees people. Human race. He came to bring joy and peace and salvation and abundant life to every person on this planet. No matter how far from them they may seem to be. And you know what? This good tidings of great joy to all people umbrella also includes that person in your neighborhood that you don't want to get along with. It includes that coworker that you wish you could just make go away. Maybe it's a boss or an employee or that family member that you're perpetually at odds with and you know that during the holidays you're going to be thrown into the same room with them. Maybe for hours at a time. Here's a tweet for you. Every person that you don't like, Jesus loves just as much as he loves you. Sometimes I have to remember that I'm the person that somebody else doesn't like. Maybe I'm that family member that others dread to see. The Christmas story challenges us to look at others with new eyes. To see them as invited under the umbrella of God's proclamation of good tidings of great joy. This brings me to this second phrase that I want to call your attention to. And that's this. Jesus came for the purpose of peace. That's why he came. Verse 14 says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, goodwill toward men. Peace. That's God's ideal. And this is how we live together in peace and in, in goodwill with one another. That's, that's, what his desire, that's what his heart is for us. That's why Paul said this in Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That's why he also says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not a God of disorder, of chaos or conflict. Or, uh, he's not a God of contention, but of peace. Same word. I think he longs for us to live together in peace. That's why Jesus came. The great travesty of history is that for some who claim his name but didn't know him, not really. They've used that name and still do 
to oppress other people in the name of God. But you know what a greater travesty there is? I think it's when we allow that to happen in sort of this micro way in our own lives today, on a local level, on a personal level. God's called us to peace. And when we dedicate our lives to anything other than that, to turmoil or to conflict, you know, or to, I'm not going to speak to her, I'm not going to, he is my, in, you know, I think we've missed out on the meaning. We've, we've kind of missed the point and we've missed out on his calling for us. God has not, however you may have given yourself permission or rationalized it, he has not called you to wage war. Not with your mama or your cousin or the guy in the next cubicle over. That's not what your job is. He doesn't call us to do that with one another or to destroy our enemy. He's called us to peace. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. You were called out for peace. So this brings me to my final idea. In this Christmas story, we see that Jesus came for all people, even the ones that you don't get along with, even the folks you don't like. He loves them as much as he loves you, and he, and he, but he loves me. He came for all people, and he came for the purpose of peace. I think the first experience, and I refer to this sometimes, you know, when I started going to church, I could sense tension in the room. I could sense there were some people who didn't like me just by looking at me because I was a freak at the, you know, and, and I didn't blend in. I didn't, you know, I, and I felt that. I, I remember being a little self-conscious and thinking, okay, I know that person's kind of glimpsing over at me and, you know, and I think, okay, I've been on the other side. And maybe you have felt that, maybe because of some event or history or story or the way, a hundred reasons. I want you to know you're, under the, you're, inclu- you're invited. You're invited. This is for you. It's never not for you. So my final idea is this. Let's glorify God by being practicing peace. Let's be be the people who practice this with one another. I entitled this this message, Give Peace a Chance. And uh, I was with the tech guys back there in the booth, and they go, oh, that's like the old 60s and 70s song. And I said, yeah, that's exactly where I got it. Um, the version in my head, and then some of you, at least as old as me or older, will, will sing this the rest of the day. I, I use the Leon Russell, Joe Cocker, Mad Dogs, and Englishman version, Give Peace a Chance. Yeah, it's, you know, and you got the tambourines, and it's got this churchy feel. Give peace a chance. And I know, it's like all the old hippies in the room go, yeah, whatever happened about that? We're still, <laughs> dude. You know, because that, that's what he's about. Is practicing peace with one another. Now, that was a failed experiment. <laughs> and I lived through that. I mean, I was just a kid. I'm not as old as I pretend to be, but I would just get, but I can remember the whole idea. And I remember 
everybody, we always greeted one another like this. Right? And I still do that sometimes. And I thought, wow, how many years is that going to take? 30, 40 to go, for this to go away? Hey, man, I'll do it to Tom Feedy. He'll do it back to me because, yeah, he's an old hippie. You know, and, and just peace, peace out. I mean, we said that all the time. But have we, have we had it? Did, did my generation bring peace? Did the protest and the, all of that, did it at the end of the day, this many years later, did we make an impact that continues? My idea is this, that without, without Jesus, without his spirit infusing this, it's kind of like good works apart from Christ. They really don't get you anywhere spiritually. It takes His Spirit and His presence to give it that, not just the stability, but this enduring, this, 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 this hupomone, this, this, this capacity to go forward and to continue. It's interesting that the angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. So you see all these angels, they're not singing, they're speaking, and they're all doing a peace sign. This is, it's, in, it's in the Greek. And he's reminding us that these two things, they go together. You glorify God when you live your life in peace. And that's why King David wrote these words. He said, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. God wants us to live in peace. I realize I'm not a Pollyanna. I mean, I get it. I know that sometimes conflict is unavoidable. And sometimes it's even necessary. That's the world we live in. That is a reality. But here's what I'm suggesting. Instead of making conflict your go-to reaction, your next behavior in every situation, try the path of peace first. I started going to church when I was just toward the end of my teenage years, and I sat in once on this business meeting, and it was, and it was a very uh, contentious kind of a thing, and I, can, I don't even remember the issue. I kind of do, but I won't talk about that. You know, but these folks, it's like the church was evenly divided over this issue, and I mean, people were mad at each other, and they were, and, and it started off kind of civil, but you could tell there were a lot of phone calls before that night, and you could tell people had built their teams, and they all showed up, and, you know, they sat here, and they sat here. I mean, it looked like watching Congress on television, you know, <laughs> this half would clap, and this half would, you know, be mad, and I mean, it was, it was like that, and as the evening went on, it got not better, it got worse. Now, this is one of my first ideas about Christianity. I'm checking it out, and I'm watching everybody, and I'm doing the peace symbol, you know, and I'm, 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 and these, and I can remember very clearly one guy got up, and he was, he stood up, and we had pews kind of like this, just, and he would, he was holding the pew with one hand and banging on the top of it with his other hand and shouting. 
I remember being amazed. And this friend who had invited me to church, he was just cringing. He was like, just ignore this guy. I thought, ignore him. Look at him. <laughs> How are you going to ignore that? Well, he's not, you know, I'm mean, going you know, I think, no, you're, he's a Christian, right? Oh, I don't know now. <laughs> I thought he was, but I think sometimes we can confuse people. Well, who we say we are and what comes next. So I know sometimes conflict is unavoidable. I absolutely know that. We live in a fractured, fractured world and there's always going to be conflict. I, I just think it's always going to... I don't think there's going to be a time when there are no wars. I mean, there may be these brief interims, this, this breath of a moment where you think, are there any conflicts? I don't, in my lifetime, I haven't, there, I don't think there's ever, ever been a time when there wasn't a war going on somewhere. And not just globally, which is kind of what I think about, you know, when I say that, or maybe the image I give, but I think even in, in these micro ways, I think even in your life, you look around in a relationship, has there ever been, just so you think, well, I don't know of anybody who doesn't like each other, I don't know, in my world, I don't know of anybody in conflict with one another. No, I've never... I've never seen it between nations. I've never seen it between people. I've never had to think through that. So we can either add to that. We can be part of the fuel for that kind of atmosphere, particularly at Christmas. Or we can be countercultural. And that's what Christmas was. That's what Jesus was and still is. And we can talk all day about how there should be world peace. But the simple truth is it just doesn't exist. And to be blunt, there's probably not a lot you're going to be able to do to change that. We can try. But here's what we can do. You can be the agent of peace in your home, at your house, in your dorm, in your apartment complex. You can be the agent of peace in this church family at work, in your neighborhood, in your marriage, in your extended family, in every area of your life, you can be the guy, you can be the woman of peace, you can be the instrument of peace. What you bring into the room is peace. Now to do so, it's harder than it is to talk about it. Because we have to learn how to act and to react in a way that is counterintuitive. At least for me. Uh, and oftentimes our first reaction, uh, when something doesn't go our way, or we don't like somebody, we're just going to lash out. And I think I've got a handle on this. You know, I think, you know what, I'm not like that anymore. Old Dan, he's gone, you know, and, and, I, get, and I think, wow, I'm just really... And then somebody will pull out in front of me on Kingston Pike. And all of a sudden, that reaction just comes, and I think, oh, it's still there. As long as it's there, here's what I think about that guy, you know? And you know, it just takes something like that to release that. So oftentimes, our first reaction when we feel like we've been targeted by somebody else is to attack back. I mean, that's so easy. It's just a, it's just a flow of your emotion, right? And the truth is, is that sometimes you are going to have to define boundaries. And I know this isn't something like preachers say, but there are times you need to stand up for yourself. This is not advocating any kind of abuse 
or inappropriate behavior or, you know, for you just to constantly be receiving, you know, anger or whatever it is. So I'm, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is this. Make conflict your plan B. Make it your plan C or your plan D. Make the path of peace plan A. Always plan A. At work, at home, at church, in the neighborhood, with your crazy family, everywhere you go, just practice peace. Just stop, pause, take a breath, practice peace. This is how Paul said it in Romans 12, 18. I like this verse, and I think Paul's just being real practical and just real, kind of a real guy down to earth here. He said, if it's possible, because I know some of you are thinking about your family or your neighbor or your friend. He goes, if it's possible, and I get that it may not be, and as far as it depends on you, you can't control the situation, you can't control the outcome, you can't control other people. But you can control it. He says, live at peace with everybody. See, now, on that winter day, in December of 1914, I've watched that video several times, and I've wondered who was the first to reach out. Who was the first one to get up out of that trench? Who was the first to take those tentative steps into no man's land? Can you imagine what an easy target he would have been? Can you imagine the risk? How he could have been instantly riddled with bullets and he'd just become another casualty among the 17 million casualties. It was a risk. It was a huge risk. But he took those first steps anyway. Because the possibility of even just a few moments of peace was worth it to him. We have no way of knowing what happened to him in the months and years that followed that event. But we do know this, that on Christmas Day in 1914, this brave young man became a history-making hero. He had the courage to demonstrate at the risk of his own life what this season is supposed to really be about. So here's my question. Will you have, during this Christmas season especially, that same courage? The courage to follow in his footsteps. Now, I doubt your uncle's going to shoot at you. I doubt your neighbor is going to drop a bomb on your house. But it's going to take courage. Do you have the courage to take a counterintuitive step on the path of peace to such a radical extent that you're willing to even love the people around you that you consider to be your enemies. So here's today's challenge for you. This is our challenge this week. Thanksgiving's behind us. It has begun. 
take first the path of peace in every situation. And if you do, it's not only going to turn your Christmas upside down and Christmas upside down for a lot of other people, but it just might be the beginning of turning your life upside down. And you become a peacemaker, one who's blessed and blesses others. Would you stand with me and let's pray that God would so fill us with his spirit and give us such grace that we would be those who bring peace to this season because of Jesus. Lord, we give you praise. We thank you for the opportunities that we have. We pray that you would bring peace into our own hearts so that we wouldn't have to fake it or just try harder but that we would be so filled with your peace that it would naturally overflow and we'd be able to extend that. And this season, when we're shopping or when we're at a party or we're in traffic, whatever event, whatever moments, maybe just even in our own homes, that we would bring the peace of Jesus into those moments, into those places. For your glory.